Hello everyone, welcome to the Petrine Studios. This is Blake Vaggart here, parish catechist at St. Peter, and I'm sitting down today with Sister Edith Marie, a Christ the King sister, and actually a superior of our convent. How are you doing today, sister? I'm doing well, thank you, Blake. Right here in late Advent, so it's good to be like celebrating this time with you. This is going to be a series of podcasts sitting down with our sisters. I'm going to call it sitting with sister (laughs) here at St. Peter so we can get to know our wonderful, committed school teachers and religious that are living this beautiful life. To begin this recording, though, we want to just begin with a short prayer. So uh, if you join us, in the name of Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, You have given us a way of life that is varied but united. In every vocation, we seek out an opportunity to grow closer to you. We ask that you bless us, send us your Holy Spirit, so that your faithful, your people, might be able to listen to your call and your will. We especially ask for your action and your grace to increase vocations to the religious life. May you use them to show us the beauty of consecrated life, of dedication to you and our end goal at the end of time where we will spend forever with you in the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we ask this to the glory of the Father in your holy name. Amen. All right, we're here uh, just to have a little informal chat to get to know you a little bit more, Sister Edith Marie. If you want to give us a short elevator pitch, how you got to where you are today. Yes, that's, yeah, short is a good word for it because it's kind of, I mean, like anybody's vocation story, there's always... A lot of details that come with it and God's working and the Holy Spirit's working. And so I grew up on a dairy farm north of Lincoln. I um, went to a small public school. My siblings, how I kind of came to religious life, I would say my siblings, my older siblings were a key factor in helping me to become a religious or just understanding my vocation. When they went ended up going to college here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, they got involved in the Newman Center. And through that, their faith just became more alive. It wasn't just something they did on Sundays. And I saw them, it wasn't just about prayer, but it was about community and seeing them live for Jesus, but live in a joyful way and have fun. And seeing that the two did not necessarily need to be separated, which to some degree was kind of a thought that I had growing up. Seeing their witness, and actually a couple of my siblings discerned religious life and priesthood. And so both of them are now married with beautiful families. But just in the process of their discernment really challenged me. And at first I wasn't very comfortable with that just because I had not seen in my own area people really discerning vocations to the religious life and priesthood. But seeing them do that really did strike a chord and made me think, really consider, could this be an option that God is calling me to? It wasn't like this vocation, the idea of the vocation was something that was totally new with my siblings. Um, I did have some familiarity with religious and a town that was near us, they had a religious community. And so sometimes when I was really young, my mom would go there to drop off clothes for the missions, but skipping back to college. So when I came into college, I knew I wanted to choose a college that was strong in the Catholic faith because I wanted to have something that my siblings had. At that point, the only school I knew that I could afford was the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Getting involved in the Newman Center there, and again, just through the witness of friends, growing in my faith, and that eventually God just putting on my heart that there was something else for me, 
unsure about what to major in. It wasn't something that I was really definite, like, this is what I want to do for a job. Just struggling with God about what my future holds. He placed on my heart that entering religious life was something that he really wanted me to do. But I'm really bad about making decisions. I ponder things probably way too much. This one was something that I didn't really have to think about a lot. And it was just like, this is the time and I need to do this. At that point, thinking about it or really discerning it, saying it in spring, and I ended up entering our community in the fall. Did you look at any other orders? Or was it always Christ the King Sisters? Um, I didn't seriously look at other communities. I was thinking about the Pink Sisters for a while. Contemplative life was something that was really big on my heart. And so that was kind of one of the major communities I discerned. I did look at some other ones. It was pretty much between the Pink Sisters and the School Sisters of Christ the King. What drew me to the School Sisters of Christ the King were like three factors. I knew the, that community a lot. I was more familiar with the School Sisters of Christ the King. We also have a contemplative dimension to our community. I wanted something to do with the missions. Even though we don't go out to the missions, we do have part of our charism is a love for the missions. So that kind of just fit a lot of different parts in my own spirituality that I was kind of longing for. That's what kind of drew me to them. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So since this is the first podcast in this series, you Mm -hmm. said charisms. Could you explain just briefly what a charism is? Yes, a charism is a gift that is given to a community or to an individual person. Many people are probably familiar with the charisms of St. Paul in the scriptures, this charism of prophecy or speaking in tongues or administration. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So charisms are also given to different religious communities. And it's a gift that God calls a community to share himself with the wider church. And so every religious community has a charism. So for us, our main charism is total belonging to Christ the King, joyful belonging to Christ the King. But then through that, Bishop Flavin, he's the one who was inspired with that charism. So through that, there's like different, for us, there's different points on how we allow ourselves to be joyful witnesses of Christ the King and let him reign in our hearts and the hearts of others. And that's through Catholic education, love for the Eucharist, love for the priesthood, love for Mary and the passion of Christ. And well, Catholic education is evangelization, which is where the missions come in. I'm missing one right now. So, and then those five elements are kind of kind of like the, the underneath the umbrella of total belonging to Christ the King. Living out those, we hope that Christ reigns and we desire for him to reign. So maybe be the instruments of that. Yeah. I can tell you, just from getting to know the School Sisters of Christ the King, I believe I share many of the same charisms, mm. which is why when I encounter you all, I feel this deep connection already. Uh-huh. But it seems like there's a shared heart. And I think also when you said Bishop Flavin, it's maybe a charism that exists here in the diocese. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're, we're kind of attuned to this way of living, and it makes sense. The Holy Spirit works in a particular church to draw people together. Yeah. So it's a beautiful reflection for all of us. How, how do we belong to the Lord, and then what kind of gifts could I bring? Mm-hmm. So as we look at a broader perspective from this conversation just to what each of us has to offer for those who are listening. Yeah, it's kind of along with that, and it's a little bit digression maybe, but I'm reading a book on unrepeatable, but it's on personal vocation, and it's really talking about what's not just vocations to the religious life or priesthood or the married life, but kind of what that, I think that's personal charism, and like how has God formed you? And I know there's like some 
inventories out there you can do mm-hmm. for that. But there's also, I think, just knowing who you are and like how is God so that you can bring his message and be that gift to the church. And it is. I mean, we all have something that God put on us. He created us in a special way that we are called to bring his message, to bring his love to the world. And our vocation to the priesthood, marriage life, or religious life helps live that out. Like that gift is first, and then our other vocation is built on that. And So uh, I'm a married man, and I've kept my name. I don't know if a lot of people know the process of choosing a new name. Mm, yes. So can you just share why, when, how, and then how did you choose Sister Eve Marie? Yeah. I, well, it varies from different communities. Not every community changed their name. Some of them do keep their baptismal name. Our community does, though, all sisters. And one of, we take two names, and one of them is Mary. So it's a form of Mary as far as, because that's also part of us, just love for Mary, devotion to Mary, reminding us that she's our queen and she's with us. The reason we change a name is because we are putting on a new person, just like a bride, mm-hmm. like your wife takes a new name when she married you. I mean, she keeps her first name, but her last name changes because she's now one with you. And so we become one with Christ, belong to the church in a new way. And so we take a new name to symbolize kind of this new person that I am becoming in Jesus. So how did I what was the process? It varies from community to community, and even in our community, it kind of has changed over the years, just evolved with the way life changes. When I chose my name, we had a prayer service where we got to choose three choices for our religious names, and then we submitted them to our mother superior, and then she would pray over them and discern like which name that she thought was fitting for us. My three choices were like Sister Edith Marie was second, so it was Sister Mary Salacia, Sister Edith Marie, and Sister Mary Celeste. And I didn't really feel like I had a long, a lot of connections with saints, and so I wasn't sure. So Salacia and Celeste were for all the saints, and then Saint Edith, or Saint Edith Stein, was for Sister Edith Marie. So Sister Edith Marie is for Saint Edith Stein, and I came acquainted with her actually in college, and my brother came home right before she was, like her last miracle was approved by the church and her canonization was up. And my brother came home from work and he was telling me about this saint who, a Jewish woman who converted to Catholicism and then became a Carmelite nun and then sharing her conversion stories. Because as a cradle Catholic, conversion stories speak to me of somebody who is really seeking and has found the truth. And despite what other people say, or treat them, they follow that truth. And there's just something really convincing that kind of helps if, if I doubt about my faith that I can go to, well, this person has done the work in a sense and they have allowed themselves to find the truth. And so I know that even in my doubt, there is a truth out there and Jesus is the truth and the church is the truth because this person witnesses to it too. I love that about her. And then so I just started praying to her for, and also just at that time, her having some of the feminist culture around that wasn't understanding the true dignity of women and understanding feminism in the true sense. And St. Edith Stein also, through her teaching, speaks of that a lot, of just knowing the dignity of woman and the strength that she does have and the, sh- and the gifts that she's been given as a woman, but yet she's still a woman. Understanding that sometimes we have the wrong concepts of what that means. We, as women, we fail to understand our dignity as women, and therefore we don't truly understand what the strengths that come with that and the beauty with that that is. That also inspired me. So through her, just different people coming to mind um, and wanting to pray for them is what drew me to her. And then when I entered a religious life, 
as I was thinking of different saints, she was just the one that just kept coming to mind, even though she's very intelligent. And that part kind of separated me from her because I was like, I have no idea what her philosophical thought is pretty profound. And that just seemed very much not me. And so that part little drew me a little bit away from her. But just the way that God's providence works and the Holy Spirit works, I just kept being drawn back to her in various ways. And then Mother Joan Paul is the name she chose for me. So mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, God really chose her for me, which he probably does for a lot of us. You know, God's the one who chooses our name. That kind of leads me into one of the other questions I had. You profess three vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm -hmm. And I think for many of us in our uh, individualistic culture would think it's crazy that you're going to allow someone else to choose your name. Yeah. You vow obedience to your superior. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And how that plays out in your life, because you're the superior of our convent. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Um, how did you get to be superior? From my understanding, you were assigned that role. I am. And then that means you're in charge over there. And how does that play out in your daily Don't life? Um, yes. Well, it's how did I become it? Mother Joan Paul asked me. <laughs> exactly. It's it is humbling position to have and become very much well. I at least I do, and even more aware of my weaknesses, faults, being a superior. Each local we have a mother superior that is in charge of the whole community, and then each local house has a local superior. The mother superior through prayer and the needs of the community, she discerns which sisters she sees would be fitting for a position of local superior, and then she asks, and then she assigns. And yes, in our obedience, we say yes to it. And or if we have some questions or heaviness on our heart, we share that with her, and then she still discerns if that's what she wants us to do. Hearing your experience of being chosen as superior, do you find actually freedom Mm -hmm. in the obedience to Mother Margaret Mary? Yes, so with Mother Margaret Mary choosing me, there is freedom. And I think that's with all of us, whatever assignment we're given um, through Mother Margaret Mary. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that we just go and there's no struggles and the cross is like carrying a toothpick. I mean, the cross is still the cross. But you know this is what God wants of you. And then in the cross, there's an opportunity to surrender. And that surrender can be very painful at times and very difficult at times. But with the vow of obedience, you know, we know we have given everything to the Lord. Jesus has it all. And it's an opportunity for us to surrender over and over and over again. And within that surrendering, continuously, you see the Holy Spirit working in our lives and how he orchestrates things, the good. Earlier on, you mentioned, Blake, about just like, what is the, and I'll get this back to obedience, what, what is the role of a superior? The role of the superior is to help the sisters to be spouses of Christ and to help them live out their obedience because they have vowed obedience to Jesus. So when we vow obedience, we're giving up things, but it's because we want Jesus to be our all. We, we want to trust him. We want, we want to let him direct our lives because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so through the superior is how the sisters live out their obedience. It's how they give their will to the Lord. So that's a sacred place for superiors to be able to hold that in their hands of the sister is giving me and trusting herself to Jesus through me. And so as a superior, kind of on the practical level, I regulate the life and the actions of the sisters that are given to us through the 
mother general, so I say I'm the one who regulates, even though there's some consistent things that just kind of happen throughout all the convents, but ultimately it's like our women get up in the morning when we have prayers, when supper time is, when they can leave for school, when they come home from school. All of that is through obedience, and Jesus is directing that. And if they get material possessions and they want to keep something, they come to the superior and ask the superior for that. And so really they surrender things that, you know, you probably, you and your wife, there might be things you talk about, but things that you just do because you have the independence and God isn't calling you to that. We, very even little things, we just say, this is yours, Lord. I want it, but do you want me to have it? Or this is what I want to do, but do you want me to do it? Then they bring that to the superior and then God works through that. He, his will is made known in that, which is where the difficulty can come in. And that's where the surrendering comes in too. But in the end, you see God is, and it's, it's beautiful because there's things that a superior might say no to, and it's hard, but then you see where maybe an attachment, a person I have to it, or that through some mysterious way, God has another plan that's even better, or those things that then you ask for, and you get a yes for, and it almost becomes a greater gift because you're giving it out to you, and God says, no, you can have it back. And so there's a beauty in that too of, like it adds more joy to what you get because you don't always expect to get it. And that's where that humility comes in because as a superior, you can't, you, you know, you need to love this. We're called to love the sisters. So it's not a control thing. You're helping them to trust in the Lord and the superior is helping them to lean on the Holy Spirit. So as a superior, just through that obedience, for myself of being a superior is helping me to listen to the Holy Spirit and trusting learning to trust that the Holy Spirit's working through me. I see my faults. I, the sisters I live with are so gifted, and they are so faithful to Jesus. And you kind of sit back and go, why am I a superior? <laughs> Any of those sisters could be a superior and probably be a better superior than I am. But trusting even in my faults, God is working through me and working for them. It's also been a beautiful experience for helping me to listen to the sisters. And not only do they have to surrender their will to Jesus, but I'm learning to surrender my will in a new way than I did when I was um, not a superior. As community, just helping each other to grow in our own obedience and holiness. The freedom is there, but it's not like a freedom of like, I get to do what I want when I want. It's a freedom of letting God lead and seeing that you're, we're being taken care of and that he's respecting our dignity. He respects our dignity and he allows us to be formed as we are as a person, but always trusting that he has us in his hands, even though it's, it's hard and if it's good. One of my favorite books is The Spirit of Early Christian Thought by Robert Louis Wilkin. Mm. And in this, he has a chapter where he talks about authority and what does authority mean? And I think as Americans, we have a misformed opinion of authority because we think of authority as like coercion or power. Mm -hmm. I have the power over you. He reflects on St. Augustine's work and how authority is really witness to the truth. Mm -hmm. And just hearing you say or share about life as a superior and how you're, in a sense, hopefully witnessing to the truth. Uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. And so you're seeking to live after him. And then the sisters put their obedience and their trust in you because if you're all seeking to live this way, then God's providence, God's Holy Spirit's going to coalesce around your lives. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be about power, but it's going to be a witness to the truth. And for our listeners, for most of them are probably married, you could put that in place in your own family. Mm -hmm. You're seeking to live after our Lord. 
and your authority as parents is not because you have power. Of course, you do have power over your children. You're the one that is shaping and forming their lives. But the closer that you live your life in conformity with Christ, then they're going to have a much better experience of authority because it's not just going to be on your whim, your will. Mm-hmm. And so for them, just hearing you share about your life, if they think about themselves as superior, not in the sense of just do what I say, but I'm receiving from the Lord and hopefully giving to you what he wants for you. I think it's a beautiful understanding that we can learn from the way that you live your life, the way that you practice the virtue of obedience, both Mm -hmm. to Mother Margaret Mary and then the sisters to you. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing. It's a great little highlight of like something that's more radical than what we do on a daily basis. You're right. I can go and buy something. My wife might give me uh, the side eye and say, (laughs) you just go and buy whatever you want. Uh But there is truth to be able to say, like, okay, I have a little bit more independence, but what can I learn Mm -hmm. from the way that you live your life? So thank you for sharing. And to be, I think also to be a holy marriage, too, there's an obedience to each other that you need to to give to and to listen and to respect. Part of obedience comes from a Latin word meaning to hear. And so I liked what you were saying, too. It's not just doing, like, this is what you're supposed to do, now do it. But it's a listening of the Holy Spirit. And part of that, we have been given a will. So we are called to respect the free will that God has given each one of us. So it's, yeah, exactly. It's not just domination and control, power over you, but it's... We're wrapping up close to our time. uh, But I just want to end with a fun question. So you all wear your habits and obviously look different. But I know from getting to know the sisters that you're not that much different than Mm -hmm. us quote-unquote, normal people. So what are some normal things that you all do in the course of your days, weeks, years that you think would maybe shock people to think that, oh, hey, the sisters do that? Mm -hmm. I think some of the things that might shock for those who don't know, especially know us, is just like how much we can do in our habit. The one thing that comes out is like many of us like to work outside in the grounds. So cutting down trees or fixing some things are things that somebody might be surprised to see sisters doing. Our land is given to us, and so a part of our responsibility is to provide or to take care of what we have. And so we do have a wonderful caretaker, but it's good to help him out. And it's good for us. It's good for us to be able to get outside and or to be inside and to clean. You know, we have normal, we all do normal duties. One question I'm often asked is, do all the sisters cook? And yes, we all take turns. Just some like it more than others, so that you might find them in the kitchen more, but all of us take our turns cooking. That's part of our common life. Playing games, you know, we like to play games. Some of us love sports. Playing basketball, one surprising thing. In our mother house, we have a gym. Bishop Flavin, when he created, made the mother house, said, he wanted to make sure, especially the younger sisters, had an opportunity to exercise or that's such part of being a human person. So those are some of the things that come to mind right offhand that might be surprising. We do have some cats, so... so <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, we do. We have, uh, several, several years ago, God let a stray cat come into our place, and she won the hearts of many of the sisters, ended up staying around, and then had some kittens, and... So they have been around, and then through the course of life, they died, and we got more kittens. And so, yeah, so now we have some some cats, which so sometimes surprises and just excites, especially children, delights children. So, yeah. Very good. Thank you again for sharing your time with us. 
we ask the Lord to bless you in your work. I guess one thing I should ask is, what's your assignment before we leave? We kind of talked about your mm. history and then your role as superior. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you do? Other superior as a day-to-day, but what else? What other apostolates are you involved in? Um, so, yes, being superior, exactly. And then I'm also second and fifth grade religion teacher at St. Michael's. And then another sister, Sister Martirez, and I also visit on Wednesdays different rural Catholic schools. Well, one's also in Omaha. And once a month we visit all the classes and teach about a lesson on prayer and doing some prayer formation with the children. So we go to about five schools every Wednesday. It's a privilege to be able to get to know so many children in so many different schools and just see how God is working in the diocese and in Omaha, in the Archdiocese too. Well, may God bless your work. Thank we'll you. We'll be praying for you, and we know that you pray for us. Yes. So. And I'll be... St. Peter's definitely is in our prayers and all the families of St. Peter's. So you're, you're in our prayers as well. Thank you very much. Everyone, have a Merry Christmas. Yes. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Blessed Epiphany. <laughs>